What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. New tap room now open at Sass Drive and Cameron in Regina. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast, Joel Gasson with uh, John Fraser, who has uh, graciously agreed to join me the day after the West Final. As we, uh, <laughs> frankly, number one, he's still alive, so I guess that's that's the important thing here. That's um, true. We all know what happened, so um, yeah, this is. Uh, I'm going to give John the moment. I'm going to give him the floor here. Normally, I uh, come up with whatever we're going to talk about off the top here, but. It was a moment of relief for John on Sunday as, of course, the Bombers beat the Riders to advance to the Grey Cup. Not so much because the Bombers are going to their first Grey Cup since they lost to BC and have a chance to win their first Grey Cup since 1990. No, it is the first time that the Bombers have won a game that he has attended. And I believe he said about 25 games or so. So, uh, John, uh, the floor is yours. The curse is over. I am so happy, Joel, that the curse is over. There's a great photo uh, one of my friends took last night of me celebrating. I'm FaceTime with my family. Of course, my family's a uh, large contingent of them from Winnipeg on FaceTime with dad and mom, you know, having a great time. And it's like it looks like just raw emotion flowing. And that is not because of the moment. That's not because my team won the West final. It is because I know I can finally go to a bomber game without cursing them. I'm not going to lie. It was last night. I counted on the drive up over many Rebellion products. Last night was the 26th Bomber game I had been to. The previous 25 were all losses or ties. That includes the past two Grey Cups. That includes countless Labor Days, games in Edmonton, games in Calgary, games in Winnipeg. They had lost them all until last night. And I'm not going to lie to you, Joel. When Kyron, when first the the great gadget punt return, followed by the Kyron Moore, you know, third down miracle catch off a deflection. When those two things happen, I'm like, that's it. I am never going to a Winnipeg game again in my life. I'm good luck for the Jets. The Jets have won the last two games I've been at. But the Bombers, I thought that was it, Joel. But instead, they persevered. Next thing you know, they 
you know, somehow put a football magnet into the goalpost. The sound dunk is not one that you can say in Saskatchewan these days. You can't say 13th man or doink. Um, and they came out with it in a game that really, I thought the, I didn't even think the Bombers won it. I think the Riders lost that game. But to finally be, and I was surrounded by some very good friends, huge kudos to my my good friend and co-worker, James Gratton, who drove us up and back sober. He doesn't drink. Who found us the tickets. We were on the 55-yard line, so I got to see it all. And then finally to the Bombers players, to doing that victory lap, lots of high fives. And it was funny. Everybody's giving aggressive high fives except for Zach. Zach Caleros was a little little touchy-touchy high five. Don't want to hurt the man, right? Don't want to hurt that hand. Need that hand next week. So it was a great moment. Uh, I, I Again, all the kudos in the world to Ryder fans. I have been to games at opposing stadiums where fans are nothing short of assholes. Uh, we even made the point of stopping at the Aylesbury the famous stop, the Elephant Inn. Uh, me and my other bomber buddies walked in, and we were booed by about everybody in the bar. Hundred people in this bar just boos, but they still served us, and they still, you know what? I had Ryder fans taking selfies. I had old guys that were like, "Oh, you're pretty brave, come on on in here." Cheers, there, buddy. Right? Like that—that <laughs> that is Ryder fans for you. Even in our section, I am geared up. I'm emotional. I am yelling. I am having a great time. And at the end of the day, Ryder fans, we shook hands. We 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 clinked glasses. I, I guess plastic doesn't really clink. But I just I have to say, like Ryder Nation, the way that you, that you guys deal with opposing fans and make it fun for everybody, there is nothing better. There's no better game day experience than at Mosaic, even as a visitor, when you can shake hands with everybody around you, even though you were a loud, excited asshole the whole time, and say that was a good game. We'll see you next year. So, all in all, Joel, curse is over. It was a great night. And I don't know how the F I woke up at 6 a.m. to go and try to make an appearance on Global this morning. Uh, I, I, I'm i not going to lie. The, we're also doing another After Dark episode. It's 10 o'clock when we're recording this. Mm-hmm. I had a three-hour nap when I got back from CTV. <laughs> um, the folks at CTV, after seeing some photos of me at the game, were like, I don't know if he's going to make it in at 8. I did. Broke the game down on CTV. I get to go on the CTV 5 o'clock news and make my buddy Jeremy wear a bomber jersey, which is going to be extra sweet. But yes, my hangover is mostly over, and I'm back to drinking beer, Joel, and it is a good feeling today. Yeah, so that's probably enough positive for uh, the next little bit of this podcast, because uh, we are going to have to get into what happened, obviously, in the West Final there. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the offense in this game because I think it's fairly safe to say the Riders lost the game because of their ineptitude in the green zone or the red zone or the score yep. zone, whatever the heck you want to call it. So that was basically the deciding factors. So we're going to get at that, uh, but we are going to kind of do a little bit of a wrap on the entire season. And, uh, overall it was a pretty positive one for the Riders. So we'll get into that. And we'll also, we'll look ahead a little bit to the gray cup, which is, uh, why we're recording on Monday this week. So we can kind of get out of the way a little bit. I am leaving for uh, Calgary on Wednesday as well. And, uh, the media party is always on Wednesday night, which is usually the night we record this podcast. And that would probably not be a good idea to do that that night. So no, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that won't be happening when TSN's uh, paying for a few beers. You, uh, you go enjoy them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I do not want to hinder your enjoyment of great cup week that 
as of this moment, I am still not going, despite several overtures by many of my friends. Yeah, but there, there is still a possibility that we may turn the recording equipment on later in the week, maybe do a little bit more of a Great Cup preview. We shall see. Depends uh, kind of on how the week goes. If not, we will uh, for sure do a wrap on the Great Cup and uh, the season as a whole next week. Uh, but as usual, before we get into all of that, John, uh, what's in the glass this week? Sometimes, Joel, when you're a little drunk after a rider game and you've got a, you know, a safe ride home, you stop at a liquor store to get more beer and you decide I need to drink something from Winnipeg. And then you don't drink it all on the way home because everybody in your vehicle, minus the driver, is fairly blitzed. So I went into my beer fridge this, this, this evening and I pulled out a Fort Gary Pilsner because we decided that because Labatt Blue was utter shit which we drank for good luck before the game, and it killed me a little inside. We needed to drink something else from Winnipeg. So Fort Gary Pilsner, um, that, not their best beer. To me, their Rouge or their um, or their Pale Ale are the best from Fort Gary. But uh, it's from Winnipeg, and I'm putting it in my body right now. Fair enough. Um, for me, I... Uh... I'm recording this episode of the Three Down Green Cast uh, after a dodgeball game, and so that means I'm a little, a little on the warm side, and I'm looking for something a little lighter, something a little nicer. Um, we had a little uh, housewarming gathering at my house on uh, Saturday night, and uh, one of my friends dropped off what is the called uh, from Russell Brewing. They are from BC, I do believe, and so he dropped off a what's called Mr. Bentley's Cucumber Sour. Ooh, cucumber. Yeah, it's actually, it's really light. It's nice and light and refreshing. It's kind of like if you went to the spa and they gave you, instead of spa water, they, they gave you delicious beer. Huh. I would, you know what? I would go to a spa that that was a thing. 100%. Like, it's, 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 you would think it seems kind of weird, but cucumber is actually, like, it's super, like, watery and just a little touch of sweetness that works well compared to, say, other sort of savory fruits. Because I believe it's Ooh. a fruit because the seeds are on the inside, right? That's the thing? Yeah. I, I, I have no idea. I just I, I, I everything flip flops. <laughs> One day a tomato is a vegetable, next day it's a fruit. Whatever. I just eat it. Anyway, either way it's delicious. Um People who probably needed something a little stronger than a cucumber sour would have been uh, Rider Nation, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Craig Dickinson, who before we get into all that, uh props to him for on the CFL on T S N pregame show. When so there was the little bit, I guess, uh, after they won the West they got the West Division Championship, kind of, uh, mm-hmm. to get the first place in the West. Uh, there was the shot, you know, the the, pit, the shot of him saying, you know, I'm gonna go drink some beers to the team after in the locker room. So Mike Benavides asked him, he's like, so you, did you drink a few after? He's like, yeah, you know, I'm really into dark beers, and you know, there's a really great local one here called Nakomas called uh, Nakomas Brown. And I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> Craig's on our team. <laughs> <laughs> Craig's into craft beer. I like. Him. If I didn't like him enough as this season went on. He just, as soon as you texted me that, I was on my way to Regina. He just, I, he, him, he just took another level of likability to me. It seemed like, like Cody Fajardo legitimately bringing a couple pizzas to his appearance for the Jay and Dan podcast the Friday before the game. It's like, oh, that's, that's, that, that seems to me something that Cody Fajardo would do. Then Craig Dickinson liking craft beer. Gotta say, they're, uh, despite all the shit that happened yesterday, they're still in my good books, Joel. They definitely got some extra credit heading before the game. Oh, 100%. And I mean, Craig's, Craig's a good Montana boy, and they, there's lots of great craft beers down there, so I think uh, I think he gets it. Um, he may have needed a few of them after the game, though, especially oh, yeah. with uh, 
the way the defense, well, no, sorry, the way the offense played. The defense had a few leaks, and we'll get into that, but for the most part, sort of the issue of this team from last year kind of reared its ugly head at the worst yep. time. Um, whether it really had to do with Cody Fajardo's two torn oblique muscles or not, I don't really think so. Like, it played into it a little bit. There were probably some throws and some situations that he wasn't really able to get into, but for the most part, I think it's safe to say that the any goodwill at all, or at least, you know, a sort of level of neutrality probably that uh, Stephen McAdoo had built up throughout the course of a more positive season for the offense compared to last year, pretty much washed away with one appearance in the West Final. Kind of the same sort of thing that happened to them last mm-hmm. year against the Bombers in the playoffs where they just couldn't finish some drives and it did them in. And the same thing happened here. Last year, you could have, you certainly, it was certainly fair to suggest that it was because Brandon Bridge couldn't hit the side of a barn. Um, right. This year, he, you can't, you can't say anything that was because of the quarterback. It ultimately came down to some decision, execution for sure. Execution played a part of it. But the coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, did not put their team in the best position to properly execute in the red zone, especially below the five yard line. You are absolutely right, Jewel. And when you look at the numbers today, there was 12 snaps in the red zone, one of which involved giving the ball to William Powell, who had averaged six yards a carry. Like that just, to me, you've got one of the best running backs in the CFL and one of the best O-lines in the CFL, and you just go right ahead and you don't give him the ball. This, to me, is on par in terms of questionable decision-making as, of course, the famous Marshawn Lynch not running it against the New England Patriots a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. But, like, I don't see, especially, you know, when Cody was hurt and hurt bad, how do you not give it to William Powell, right? I, yeah. I, I uh, and, and, and I think Cody's injury, I, I, I think, to use your term of galaxy-braining, I think Cody's injury forced them to do forced McAdoo to do that a little bit too much. And the reason is, is, is I even noticed this sitting in the seats at Mosaic Stadium. The only time you saw Cody throw anything to the sidelines or anything really past 10 to 15 yards was the interception. And that was about it. Everything else was pretty well, you know, 10 to 15, you know, Cody's obviously, if, if that doesn't tell you what a great and intelligent quarterback Cody Fajardo is, Nothing will. The dude was like could barely throw and was still finding the open guy, playing to his limits and everything like that. But I don't get how, with an injured starting quarterback, you make the decision to not give it to your arguably, you know, a guy that I argued should have been the MOP for this team. How do you not give him the ball? And he only had twelve rushing touchdowns on the season. You know that's that's, that's it. All. You know it's that's that all. that's it. Those are, those are piddly numbers. You know, he only and, had and, a thousand yards rushing. And I, and I know Craig Dickinson said, I believe today and after the game that you know Winnipeg had done a good job stopping them up to the gut and blah 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 blah. And I, I I agree with all that. That certainly plays into it. But when push comes to shove, when you need a yard and a half to score a touchdown, you got to go for it at least once. I can understand yes. mixing it up. I am one of the most aggressive you know football minds out there. I especially goal line offense. I I think the play action and that kind of stuff is greatly underused. And we can get to that in a second. But yeah, I think yeah, it, like the a good script in uh, at when you're at the one yard line, when you're right on the goal line, whether you have three downs or you have four downs, it's pretty simple. You run once, 
Maybe you throw on second down or you run twice and then you do something a little more gadgety on third down because yep. you've, you've established that you're going to run the football. Instead, the yes. one, the one specific, the other, there was many times they were down there and they could have scored. But of course, the one we all think about is one where they got stuffed. Not so much. Yes. The crossbar one at the end is what it is. That was a bonus chance that realistically shouldn't have happened if the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were able to be just a touch more aggressive on offense and get a couple more first downs. Right. That's really right. what or, should, that's or really. Or swat a ball instead of trying to pick it. Yeah, but they, they, the writers never should have gotten the ball back more so was my point. So that was no, really like right. a super bonus chance that really made you think they were going to win that game because, okay, they shouldn't <laughs> oh, be getting boy, this, but here we go. Yeah. So the one before that where they get stuffed on third and goal, which there's lots of d- dissect on that one as well. Yeah. The first down play just really leaves you scratching your head. Because yeah. here's Cody, so I'm not against throwing it. But you're rolling him out. You have Patrick Lavoie in front of him blocking nobody for whatever reason because there's no one around. Yeah. And then you roll him out. You shrink the field, kind of condense, you know, unnecessarily condense everyone kind of into the corner when you have these massive end zones in the CFL that you get to work with. Mm-hmm. And so you just roll him out, and then he's forced to throw it away. And then you try to run for a couple plays and do nothing with it. So it was backwards. It made no sense. And then I think even on the third down, the third down play, if you look at it now, there's, you know, questions about whether they should have called it the way they did, because even Cody Fajardo said it after the game, Terrence Vaughn, their left tackle was out. So Philip Blake was there and Mm -hmm. normally, you know, Vaughn would be there and then they would have someone else in, I believe they'd have, you know, they had someone else at tight end, but that tight end was now at right tackle because Ed sorry, at guard because Blake had moved over. And then so Manny Arsenault is blocking now, and that's no offense to Manny Arsenault, but he's not a 300-pound offensive lineman blocking. It's true. So you're going, you know, you're doing this, your your personnel already, you already have personnel issues sitting there. So maybe that's not the best decision to run that play anyway. So that's a mm-hmm. whole other kettle of fish. But then you look at the alignment. If you look, if you go on the CFL's Twitter page, they actually have a video of the play. And, they, of course, they say stuff and blah, 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 blah. And... The thumbnail is right before the snap, and you see literally every single player on the field along the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And you're just looking at it, and you're like, why aren't you releasing a tight end? Look like you're going right. to sneak, roll out, then you have... Ugh, I don't know, whoever the tight ends are, roll, roll one of them out. He's going to be completely wide open, and you've probably got yep. the easiest touchdown of your life. Yep. Well, well, and that was and that was exactly it. Like it, it wasn't just the calls, as you said, Joel. It was it was the thought process behind doing some of that stuff. Now, this to me all goes back to, you know, overthinking Cody's injury, mm-hmm. where it seemed like the play calling, although they set up a great game plan for him, short passes, rely on his intelligence, you know, rely on what he can do rather than what he can't do. It almost was like at that moment, Winnipeg had figured it out and just said, all right, we know you're not throwing to the sideline. We know you're not rolling out because you're scared of getting getting your guy hit. We're just going to bring everybody. And that is exactly what they did. But you are you're so right. Like, you can't tell me from what from some of the gutsy plays I watch Cody Fajardo make. You can't tell me that Cody Fajardo would have found a way to gut it out take a little little bootleg out and complete it to a tight end who, as you said, clearly would have been so very open. And again, I think, I think Cody's injury watching, you know, watching him, he didn't have the same zip on the ball that he has, but he's clearly such an intelligent guy 
that knows that offense that I think he could have he would have found a way to make something happen. Mm-hmm. Instead, you know, Winnipeg figured out what they were going to do, and and Steve McAdoo played right into it. Yeah, and and even you 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 could roll out the other way and probably run in for a touchdown as well if you don't want to throw. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of other options, and despite all that, at the same time. Okay, it maybe wasn't the best, you know, given the personnel that you had available at the time, it maybe wasn't the best decision, it wasn't greatly executed. And that was the main thing it came out. It wasn't great, still wasn't greatly executed, and Winnipeg's defense still deserves credit for making the play. Yes. Because when you start a yard off the ball, it is incredibly hard to get a stop in an and one situation in the CFL. Like let's yes. let's not discredit what the bombers did on defense on those types of plays. Like that was huge plays that they, they still had to make and they did, despite all the flaws going into it. You know, coaches make bad decisions all the time that happen to work out. These ones just didn't, and so that looks a little worse than it, than it is, really. No, no, and, and and you're absolutely right. And I mean, clearly the clearly the Bombers' uh, defense was in the head of Steve McAdoo and Craig Dickinson, and, and I mean that in a good way. That you know, the post game comments. Well, why didn't you run? Well, they were so good to run it up the middle. You know, well, they're they're so good that we that we didn't think we'd do anything. Well. You still can same, try out of one out of three times. Well, and, and at the same time, you have to have confidence in your own team that even though they're good, that you're better. That you I can I, I, I can get it if it's like, you okay, we're not running, so we, you know they're making stops, so we're not going to run on first down when we need to get down the field. But once you're right. below the two-yard line, I think you should probably try to run the football once. <laughs> well, no, most absolutely you probably should. and and Or at least have the faith in your line. And the faith in your running backs and the faith in your fullbacks and your quarterbacks to go, okay, here we go. They're good, but you guys are better, and we're going to give you a shot. I mean, and we're not even we're not even talking about we're not talking about you know they only had three red zone plays and we're all over analyzing it. No, this was this was twelve plays with goal to go that they tried running it with their star running back once. Like I, I, you have to at some point let the guys go get it, give it a shot, and see what happens. Yeah, so I, I think that's really the biggest takeaway from the West Final, and it, it's, it's strange that it's essentially the same sort of problems that propped up a year ago. Right. And yeah, I feel like probably everything Stephen McAdoo accomplished this season has been washed away, and it's going to be it's going to be extremely interesting to watch if how that develops if at all in the off season. Whether Craig Dickinson decides to make a change there or not, I don't know. He did tell his coaches that he was going to make those decisions pretty quickly to, can you know, to be fair to them, which is good. So I would expect probably the week after Grey Cup because there's kind of a bit of a news lockdown during Grey Cup week to right. try and make the focus on Grey Cup, which is fair. But I would imagine soon after the Grey Cup, we'll probably start to hear some news about kind of what's going on with the team and where they might go. And... You know, not that I think Stephen McAdoo did a bad job this year per se. It was certainly much better than it was the year before. And you hate to read too much into one game because that's that's generally not what we do around here because it's, right. it's all about sample size. And I think, you know, in a one-game playoff, it all has to do with luck more than anything. And I think we saw that in spades in a lot of different ways in that yeah, football absolutely. game. Yeah, Either team, you could say, got lucky for various reasons, and that's why they won. But that's that's just playoff football. That's playoff sports. It's what it is. At the same time, I do think it is still a bit of a detriment to the offense, and it might be worth exploring other options for this offense going forward. You're right. I, I also, part of me, though, would be worried about messing with 
you know, what was such a great regular season. And in the two years, you could see that McAdoo has had a quarterback that he can trust, you know, Kevin Glenn and and and, and at times Brandon Bridge uh, and, and now Cody Fajardo. What his offense has been able to do with with guys he trusts has been pretty good. And, you know, we look at last year, clearly he didn't have the faith in what he had last year. And, I mean, Zach Caleros proved that he's still got a little bit of game left in him over the last three or so for Winnipeg. But it just, I don't know. And He's, he's going to be the scapegoat. He is definitely going to be the scapegoat. But I don't know if there's another guy that you look at and go, he's an offensive guru. Let's go bring him in. You know, it's almost... Oh, it's, that, it's, that's fair, but at the same time, I mean... Other than maybe the hardcore fans and media, obviously, did anyone really know who Jason Shivers was before this year? That's fair. And I would say he's he's proven to be a pretty good defensive coordinator. He's a, I would say he's a great defensive coordinator. I wouldn't be surprised if in you know if when the Ryder defense does you know these things again next year, I would say that he'll be you know the next uh, new hot head coaching candidate. But mm-hmm. uh, possibly. Yeah. But it's just. I don't know. It, 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 I would have loved to see, like, the McAdoo offense with a healthy Cody Fajardo was so good this year. They mixed in William Powell. They they let Cody be Cody and become, the you know, the, the West Division MOP. They essentially created that. I have a tough time, even after a bad game, with your quarterback maybe being 70%. From what I saw, at, you know, from the from my seats, which were lower bowl, which were good seats, you could tell Cody didn't have any zip on that ball and still nearly threw for 400 yards. I just, I don't know. I have a hard time letting a guy go that has proven when he's got a guy he can trust and a guy that fits his system, he's had tremendous amounts of success with. I, I really don't think, I think this is a learning experience and he, he overthought it. The whole team overthought it with Cody's injury and trying to bring in Brian Bennett and trying to do some different things and and and, and maybe not using William Powell. This to me is a learning experience, and I think I think you keep him. I think you keep him because during the regular season, I don't think once we were we were both surprised by how good that offense was, and they have the potential to be that good again. I see that side of it, but how many times is he going to overthink it? Like this is it's two years in a row in the biggest game of the season, the offense fell flat. Right. And, you know, it, it, it comes up at times. And there were still pockets of this year where the offense didn't look right. And, I mean, that happens throughout the course of a long season, so I'm certainly not going to say that they should be a juggernaut on offensively all season. But, I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying for sure you should get rid of him. You obviously, I think it's important that they sit back and take a look at the big picture and evaluate the whole thing before making that decision. But if there's something better on the market, I think you have to go for it. You have to you have to at least look at it, and I'm not arguing that that you do have to you have to look at it, and I think you have to interview and and see guys that fit the new culture of Craig Dickinson, mm-hmm. the new likable, chill, good dude culture that that he has instilled in this team. Um, but yeah, I, I have I have a hard time. Like I I I wouldn't be. I'm not going to sit here and defend Steve McAdoo to the death. No. Because I think it's, I think it's you brought up an important point there. They need I think Craig needs to bring talk to the offensive guys in their exit interviews and get their thoughts. The guys that have been right. around here for a while that have been under a few different OCs, talk to the Dan Clarks, the Brennan Labats, the Neiman Roosevelts, 
you know, get kind of their feel on where this is going offensively and whether, you know, the McAdoo is the guy that can get them over the hump offensively or not. Because I think, unlike Chris Jones, in Craig Dickinson's way of coaching, the coordinators are more important than ever because he kind of takes that step back a little bit, lets his coordinators do their job. And he even hinted that he might allow his special teams assistant this year to kind of do more of the coordinating next year so he can focus on the big picture of coaching more so because, you know, he has time management issues and this whole sort of thing yeah. that he really yeah. wants to. He had some great quotes on that today, digging in to how he wants to figure that out and learn more about that. And that may require him taking a step back a little bit on special teams. So for Craig Dickinson, the way he coaches a little more hands off his coordinators, that makes it extra important that whoever is running all three of them now because of course before Chris Jones is doing the defense you know it was in good hands and Craig was doing the special teams and they were in good hands you know so but in whether how involved Chris Jones was with the offense we don't really know for sure but when you have a coach who is more of like a a manager in the room more so than a micromanager of all of his guys it's extra important that your coordinators be at the top of their game every week and again, that is another, you know, as a total aside, that's another reason I love Craig Dickinson. I can't oh, think of the last time. Yes. I, I can't think of the last time you interviewed a CFL coach and he went, yeah, I want to learn this. I want to I want to learn how to be the best I can be. I want to I want to tweak this and I want to educate myself like, holy shit, I love his humility. Mm-hmm. Like, like all, it's, it's, all season, he every time he goofed up, he's. He's admitted to it, and it basically ends the conversation about it at that moment in time, as we've talked many times, where he doesn't blow it off. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't, you know, not answer the question. He says, yeah, I screwed up. And then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right, like, like and, and that was even the thing with, with him, with this, whole, with this whole game from yesterday. It was basically him going out, yeah, I screwed up. We need to look at the whole picture. We'll be better. Like, how can you, like, between him and Pichardo, they both have the same mindset. How mm. can you hate that? You just can't. Like, it's, it's, this is one of the more likable rider regimes I ever think I've seen in my entire time in this province. Like, it's, it's definitely just... the most likable since I started covering the team in 2012. That's for sure. Oh, for, by, yeah, by a mile. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I could see, I, I could see them giving somebody a shot and I would love to see them give a shot to somebody with some solid ideas because because if you're if you are gonna get rid of Steve McAdoo, don't go back to the recycling bin. No. I would love to see Craig Dickinson, you know, the pieces are there. The O line mm-hmm. depth if everybody comes back is unbelievable. You have a thousand yard twelve touchdown rusher. You have a guy that has proven that and, and really to me this game, watching Cody Fajardo while hurt, has a great head on his shoulders. He he basically like have you, I've pulled an ab muscle before. It's agony. You have abs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> underneath underneath several layers of fat and hair, I certainly do. But <laughs> but, but like pulling those core muscles. <laughs> Even honestly, I my, my I had so many good times. My core muscles are sore from laughing the whole time. <laughs> um, but it's just it's one of those things that the guy was still basically went okay. I know I'm limited, so I'm going to make these reads and I'm going to do this well and I'm going to do what I need to do well to make this team succeed. And it's just you know you've got the pieces there for a great offense. So and 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 let's face it, this this season as great as this season was and as unexpected as this season was. 
this was not the season they were aiming to win the Grey Cup. No, I, I mean, they were and they weren't. They well, were you're certain, always They're always trying, win. and they want to have the, because every season is sacred, you need to be as good as you possibly can every year. But we kind of talked about at the start of the season where I think realistically, big picture, this was kind of 2012-ish in a way, where it yep. was about building toward a Grey Cup hosting the next year. And that's... Yeah. And you can say without a doubt, you know, 2012 was considered a success. This year is definitely a smashing success, even though they didn't win the Grey Cup and even though they didn't get to the Grey Cup and it ended in a bit of a sour note for Ryder fans. I think it's fair to say, as we look more at the big picture of this entire season, you know, 13 of 5 is the first time they've hosted the West Final in 10 years. On the field, it's very easy to say this was a very successful year for the team. And I think we, I think you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit already. I think most importantly, they've established a new, fresher culture, one yes. that is friendly to the players, friendly to the rest of the coaching staff, and is something that I think a lot of guys can get behind and uh, could potentially be the sustained success that Craig, that Craig uh, Reynolds has wanted all along. No, and, and I would agree. I mean, I, I think Ryder fans, when you do see when the free agency list comes out at the end of this year. You're going to see a pile of names on there, and it's going to be scary AF, to quote Fake Gainer. It's, you're going to see basically all of your favorite players needing new contracts. Well, there's two things in the CFL. One, there's a desk drawer someplace at Mosaic Stadium sitting with about half of those contracts with signatures on them, right? Due to cap implications and things like that, they won't announce it until later. The other yeah, thing, the, too... The new cap kicks in January 1, so as of then, you'll start to see kind of the contracts will start to roll out on a somewhat regular basis just to keep them in the news cycle, basically. Yeah, no, and, and you're absolutely right. And the other thing, too, you look at the other West Division teams. You know, BC is paying a shitload for Mike Riley. Bo Levi Mitchell in Calgary is getting paid so handsomely. You have, you know, you have Trevor Harris probably making a ton of dough in Edmonton. Then you look at Saskatchewan, where you have a guy in Fajardo at the most important position making i making half of what those guys are making that's money you can distribute to make sure that this team stays together and stays good heading into next year and if i was a rider fan i'd be feeling very very optimistic about next year i mean you've got so many good pieces there we've talked about the culture and number 1 you went out and found a starting quarterback for a half the market rate Mm-hmm. That's 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 tough to argue. Yeah, well, and I, I think you can add the, you can add further wrinkles in too. Where okay, Calgary's still going to be competitive. We know they're going to be an issue for the Riders yeah. next year. I think it's safe to, unless you know everything goes so well in Winnipeg this year. The Mike O'Shea figures he's done what he needs to do there and bolstered Toronto to be with Pinball Clemens again, like John Hodge has kind of speculated as a possibility. Yes. Okay, then maybe so, but again, Winnipeg should still be good, but there might be a bit of a change there. We'll see what happens. Well, I we think... all we all know Lapolis is the next head coach there. If if yeah. O'Shea leaves, it's Lapolis. Yeah, um, I think you know in BC you're going. They're starting over again. There's going to be some learning curves to a new coach, a new system, you know, all of that. So they won't. They in all likelihood won't get off to a fast start. They could be a team to reckon with. Who knows? And I still think there's a pretty good possibility that's probably going to happen in Edmonton. But the coaching change there is probably going to be for the positive and make them a better team. So it it, kind of washes out a little bit. Um, But yeah, I I think it's not unfair to say that the Riders are in probably a pretty good spot heading into next season. They should be favored to at least finish top two in the West, if not maybe repeat as the first place team, depending on kind of how the offseason shakes out. 
but they are. They are in a very good spot. And yeah, the free agent list is going to be long. But as you said, that's every team in the league has that now. That's just what you deal with. And so it's going to come down to a number of those guys. Yeah, they will already have resigned, or they will very quickly if they haven't. Other guys, there are, I believe, I'm not going to really get into who I think yet because I want to see the full list before I know for sure. Right. I do believe there are a few veterans on this team that will be chosen not to return next year based yes. on the way their play went. And Ed Gainey. Yeah, and I think there's going to be, and it'll be interesting, this will be really Jeremy O'Day's first full off season being able to do scouting his way. And that will be interesting to see the approach to that compared to what we've seen in the past. So that will be, I think that'll be a very determining factor for this team because there are some veterans who are getting up there in age who very likely could be back and still very, very well could be effective next season and beyond. But as you know, every year over the age of, you know, 32, 33, 34, it could drop off in a hurry. You're specifically yes. looking at guys like Naaman Roosevelt, Charleston Hughes, uh, Mika Johnson, these kind of guys. You know, I, think, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that they could start again next season, but you should have some young Americans waiting in the wings just in case it's their year. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right. And I think, I think where – and the interesting thing will be where you went from the Chris Jones regime that he tried to be a Bill Belichick and let go of a guy a year too early then hold on a year too long. And I don't – and it's going to be interesting to see what Jeremy O'Day's take is on that, right? You know, I, I, I jokingly mentioned Ed Gainey being one of those guys that you're like, all right. Especially especially when, you know, a Bomber fan in the sixth row can get in his head about the big game chain um, it, during a playoff game and you're beaking back to the fans in row six about the big game chain and how you're going to go get it and then you just get burned over and over again. Um, not a good look. So – It'll be it'll be very interesting. I think the Riders will hold on to most of their veteran players just because of the significance of next year. Like it is, it's the Grey Cups at home, and they're going to want to. Like there will be, they are going to. I can almost certainly guarantee you, they're going over the cap next year. But they're going it, It's hard to say. I I don't think it's going to be quite twenty thirteen all in extremes. I don't think right. they're. I don't think they're going to go because there will be other Grey Cups at Mosaic Stadium. This isn't. For, this isn't Taylor Field where we knew that was going to be the last one at this facility. Right. So despite what they said, they went all in to win that. And they you know they gambled big time, kind of like the Raptors did last year. And it paid off, but good for them. Yeah. They paid for it for a few years after that. But I don't I don't think it's going to be quite to that extreme. I don't think you're going to see them... I don't, I don't think you're going to see them purposely go over the cap. I'm not going to say they did that year, but... I, I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm not against it. I, I think the first ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents is a luxury tax, and if you're willing to pay that, and your team and your ownership is willing to pay that, then why not? You should right? do that. There's no re. There is no incentive not to do it unless your team is broke ass broke and can't afford to do it. Right. And, well, especially in a year that you're hosting the Great Cup, which you know you're going to see some economic trickle down from that. But you're right, Joel. Like like being too. Two major events at Mosaic Stadium within the past month. Like, the Grey Cup is going to be a regular thing in Regina from now on. Mm -hmm. Like, again, there's still deficiencies with hotels and cabs and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, New Mosaic might be one of the finest facilities for sport in this country. Oh, no question. So, as much as you want to see them, you know, as much as you... 
maybe they maybe they re-sign a guy or two that normally they wouldn't because they're hosting the Grey Cup and they're basically paying the luxury tax and they're aware of it. You don't want to do it two years in a row, but again, the, the core of this team is you know you have some youth in some places. Like you look along that old line. And, yeah, well, and, and that's 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 the funny thing. So a friend of the show and I, Dan Plaster, were talking about that today. That it's a weird roster composition for this team right now. Yeah, where they are young in some spots, but they're also really old in others. There's no, right. there isn't really a whole lot of in between. No, you're right. You're right. There is, but but thankfully, some of the spots where they are getting a little old are American dominated spots. Mm-hmm. Where where conventional wisdom says you can usually find a guy to fill those spots. So. Yeah, you're right. It's not like it isn't like 2013 in which everybody is like they're the oldest team in the league and there's no hope there and stuff like that. But it'll be uh, no. I, I mean, we all knew that this season was going to be about prepping for for 2020, and that's exactly what they did. And I think they I, and did I think it most importantly, they set the tone to what this organization is going to be going forward now. Yes. And I think it's important that this culture and these roots kind of get developed within the organization now and that you basically become a college program and you say this is the way we're going to do it and this starts at the top and it's it's up to Craig Reynolds to make sure that this continues no matter who is here whether you know at some point you know Craig Dickinson decides he's had enough or you need to make a change and you know anywhere within the organization whoever is coming in is going to fit the mold of what they are currently doing could they have some other ideas football wise sure but overall you have a, a culture and a program, and this is how we're going to execute it year after year after year, and that is how you become a great football team in any league in the world. No, and you are absolutely right. It starts with the culture, and the culture has shifted to the point that you and I despise your typical post-game interviews, being two guys that had to do them for many years and hear the same bullshit answers every single time. But... Not gonna lie, I would almost have Craig Dickinson or Cody Fajardo on this show just because you know there's no bullshit, and I love that new culture of the Rivals. I would have Craig Dickinson on just to talk about beer, quite frankly. That's 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 fair. Let's make this happen next year. <laughs> that's a that's a possibility. The thought had crossed my mind when I heard that bit. Had the Riders won, I might have asked Craig about it at some point during Great Cup Week. Fair, fair. Maybe well, on like I... maybe on like Media Day or something where it's all kind of dumb anyway. Right, but I feel like you're right. Like I almost feel like 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 Craig Dickinson's the kind of guy that we could go on. Like we could almost have like a food and beverage special where we have Craig Dickinson on just to talk about his favorite beers in the province, mm-hmm. and then talk to Cody Fajardo about his favorite pizza in the province. <laughs> like like I and, and like I feel like I feel like could we do like work. a video and, podcast and like make corn dogs with Cody Fajardo? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it can be the precursor to trade deadline of 2020. Joel and John sample all the beers while no trades are made, but they eat corn dogs. You're not going to give up on that, are you? I am not giving up. Dunk, make it happen. I don't think Dunk listens to us, so I, I don't know if he has any idea that you're even campaigning for this. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, remind me next time he's in the city calling Husky football. I'll get him drunk and we'll make it. We'll make it happen. I'll get a recording of, of Justin Doug. You're right, John. This should happen. <laughs> so, of course, before we get to next year's Grey Cup and before we get to next year's trade deadline, before we get to next year's training camp, uh, we still have the Grey Cup to go this week. Uh, so it's of course the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Hamilton Ticats, the hashtag Drought Bowl. 
as it's been uh, dubbed on Three Down Nation, as someone's long Grey Cup drought is going to end. And I, I mean, you know, not to brag totally because it was kind of a chalky pick at the time because everyone kind of expected Winnipeg and Hamilton to be good this year. Yes. It was these two teams were my selection for the Grey Cup game this year. And I did pick Hamilton over Winnipeg. So I'm basically, I've already, I'm out in the open saying I'm going to stick with that because at this point I would rather be right on my preseason pick. And I also happen to think that there is no question, I think based on what we saw and the way the West final happened versus the way the East final happened, I don't think there's any question that Hamilton is the best team in the league and should be the favorite coming into this game. Agreed. No, they absolutely should be. Um... If there's one thing in the universe that I'm known for, it's terrible takes. Hmm. And it seems like I've been able to ride that wave of using my terrible takes to propel my team to winning. I use the terrible take that, hey, Calgary's going to beat Winnipeg. Hey, the Riders going to beat Winnipeg. So although in my heart of hearts, out of all the Bomber Grey Cups, since, two, well, 2001, I definitely thought they should have won. 2007, as soon as Glenn broke his arm, I knew they were doomed. 2011, that team was never beating BC. No. Even though Hamilton is the best team in the league, I feel like because of the time of the year, because of the temperature, because of the game being played outdoors, and because I feel like Paul Lapolice has a back page of his playbook that we're going to see all of it kind of like we saw Craig Dickinson's, you know, great fake location punt play. I think Winnipeg's got a chance. Oh, I'm, not, is... I'm not saying they don't have a chance. There's, with that defense, there is certainly a chance. But you know what? The thing that's going to push them over the top is going to be the John Fraser reverse jinx. I'm going to pick the Hamilton Tiger Cats as well. Even though admitting it's the reverse jinx, just like I did the past two weeks, and I did on TV this morning... I want I want my Winnipeg Blue Bombers to win because I will probably be an emotional wreck and probably ball my eyes out because there is not a single sports team I care more about in my life than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and I have not seen them win a Grey Cup since I was four years old and I don't remember it. But I'm still going to pick Hamilton because you know I'm known for bad takes. So if I, I this will be my happiest bad take, I picked Hamilton to be there last year, <laughs> led by Johnny Manziel. I will be very happy if this take is wrong and uh, probably very emotional and very hungover on the podcast. I don't care when we record next week. If Winnipeg wins, I will be hungover. Mostly just from watching the game on repeat. Yeah, I, I don't know if your reverse drinks is going to win this time. I think this Hamilton team is just so oh, they're so, so balanced and so stacked and so well coached. And Except they can't every- run the football. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't matter. It, it is so... I mean, Winnipeg didn't really run the... No one really ran the ball in the West Final either. I, I think That's fair. this idea that you need to establish the run and blah, blah, blah this time of the year is kind of overblown. I mean, Calgary barely ran the ball last year in the Grey Cup. It's about whoever can execute their game plan the best. And so Hamilton knows they're not a power run team, so they don't do it. And it, I think Dane Evans is going to be their guy. It's going to be extremely interesting to see what they do in the offseason with their quarterback situation. But you know, that may, that injury, as much as we talk about the injury here... And how Cody Fajardo getting in there maybe changed the rider season for a positive. You know, the bomber, the Hamilton probably still would have been in the situation that they were. They probably still would have finished first in the East with Jeremiah Masoli. 
but he, he Jeremiah Masoli was always good for that moment where it cost them big. And yep. you almost wonder, was it almost a blessing in disguise that they had to go with Dane Evans for the rest of the year? I would say, I would say it was. And then it, this, this makes this off season much more intriguing because mm-hmm. I could absolutely see if Winnipeg fails in the gray cup, I could absolutely see them going hard after Jeremiah Masoli. Well, there's going to be a few teams going after him. Like Winnipeg will for sure. Toronto probably will. Ottawa will. So there'll be a few teams looking at Jeremiah Masoli, which will be, that will make that, that'll make that pretty interesting. Yeah. Either way, I will continue to say no to the overtures because as much as I broke the Fraser attendance curse this past week, I, it was way too close. I still don't trust it. I am staying away from that breakup no matter what. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.